Hey guys, welcome back. Episode 35, here we go. Okay, so this episode today is honestly probably long overdue. It's a little bit about my recovery journey, and I have to tell you just right off the bat, if you have little ones listening, I would encourage you to pause it and put your AirPods on, or just listen to this episode at a time when you're alone. Maybe just no little kids, I would suggest. I haven't actually recorded the episode yet, so typically I record the intro after I've recorded the episode because then I can give you, hey, these are what we're talking about. These are the steps. I usually have a brief outline that I go through for myself and then just kind of follow the spirit, whatever happens during the episode, then I kind of recap it in the intro. However, today's a little different. I have one piece of paper in front of me and it's pretty blank and, you know, this is my recovery journey and I didn't want to outline it out. I really wanted to just share my heart. And honestly, I've been putting this off for a couple months. I think it's crazy, too, because I don't know if it's anxiety. I really don't think it's anxiety. What I really think it is, as I was journaling this morning, is that I have so much to say around the topic of addiction and around the topic, specifically my journey with addiction and finding recovery and finding healing and wholeness literally one day at a time, that I think I put too much pressure on myself to, you know, put everything in one episode. And you guys, it's just not going to happen. I have way too much to say about it. I'm almost sober now, 12 years, so I've got a lot of thoughts and a lot of experience with myself in a sober mind. So anyways, I'm just going to kind of wing it, but I can tell you it's going to be a colorful episode. So that's why I'm saying if you've got little kids, don't listen to it in front of them. There you go. You were warned. Here we go. Let's dive in. I don't know what's going to happen today, but I'm about to record the episode and I'm super jazzed that you're here. And let me just tell you, if you're struggling with addiction or you have a loved one that's struggling with addiction, I hope that this episode encourages you and gives you hope because there is hope. I know that for sure. I'm living proof of it. I've got scores and scores of friends that are living proof of it. And you know, if you are struggling with addiction, something I want to say is there's nothing to be ashamed of. (laughs) Let me just tell you right off the bat too, we all have our crap, okay? There's not one person on this planet who doesn't have some form of issues, whether it be addiction. I think most of us struggle with addiction. Maybe some of us and our addictions are a little bit more far gone or more obvious, but man, there's people that are addicted to people-pleasing, people that are addicted to ministry. I mean, addicted to, you know, serving God and prayer meetings and all of that, right? We use these things. What addiction really is, is it's something that covers up the deeper wound, the deeper need inside of us. And it's this driving force for more and for something to make me feel better because I don't feel okay inside. And so that's what it's about. I mean, We struggle with addiction in so many ways. I mean, I still struggle with addiction. I may not be drinking alcohol, thank God, or taking Vicodin, thank God. But I'll tell you what, I struggle in other ways with addiction. And I joke about it on the podcast, but my Amazon addiction, come on, you know, shopping and just different things. I I still medicate myself, right? And it's that unease inside in which we're trying to ease ourselves, right? They call it a dis-ease, like a disease of alcoholism is just a dis-ease inside, right? That's for any addiction. That's for any struggles, right? So anyways, there you go. There's the intro. We're talking about addiction. I'm going to share a little bit about my story and getting sober almost 12 years ago, which I can't believe. It's been an incredible journey. I'm so grateful and I'm still on it. My story's not done being over and I'm not naive to the fact that this is a one day at a time journey and my addiction still wants to take me out. But by the grace of God, I've, you know, I'm learning skills and coping skills to be able to not use, you know, hopefully destructive addictions to destroy my life. (laughs) That's the hope. That's what I've got for you. So anyways, let's dig in. I'm ready to go. Welcome to a Holy Mess podcast. All right, my friends, we all know life can be so difficult and painful at times. 
especially when we're carrying grief or loss or wrestling with shame about our past, anxiety about our future, or frankly, like we are just not enough. But there has to be so much more for us. There is hope and joy, peace, love, fun, purpose, and a reason that you, my friend, are on this planet. Let's partner with God so you can be who he created you to be as you wrestle through and trudge through your mess. Hi, I'm Danny, a recovering alcoholic, a mom, a wife, a mentor, and dust. We are only here for a moment. Let's live like it. I'm just like you. I'm a holy mess most days. Actually, every day. Let's have some fun and laugh while trudging through our mess. This stuff doesn't need to be dry and boring. Let's dig in. All right, my people, my addiction journey. Oh, man, I don't even know where to start. Let's start with how I got sober. And then we'll kind of talk about if you're struggling with addiction or you have a loved one who's struggling with addiction, because the reality is addiction touches all of our lives. I mean, there are people that can say, no, I I don't know how people are addicts or, or I have no understanding about that. But maybe it's because it just hasn't touched so close to their lives that they haven't seen it up close. But I know, you know, it affects it's not affecting you personally. It's not your own struggle. Could be your spouse's, could be your child's, could be your parents. Maybe you grew up with an alcoholic or an addict and you just hate addicts because of the turmoil and the trauma that you endured because of an addict. And I'm sorry if that's your story. Or it could be a boss. You know, you have a boss that's an addict and there's erratic behavior and and all that sort of thing. So anyways, I just have a ton of empathy. I think we are all touched by the disease of addiction. And I think it's a good topic. And this is not going to be a one and done episode. I know I'm 34 episodes in. This is really the first one, I think, that I've actually diving into my own addiction. But I'm going to have other people who have walked through addiction themselves and are finding hope and finding sanity and peace and purpose and all that sort of stuff. But anyways, okay, let me take you back about 11 and a half years ago. So I'm actually on April 5th was 100,000 hours sober, which blows my mind. 100,000 hours, it showed up on my little app and it just blows my mind that I've actually been sober for 100,000 hours. When I first got sober, I didn't think I could be sober for 100 hours, (laughs) right? It just blows my mind. So I'm so grateful. Also, this episode, I want to pay homage to the past. I want to pay homage to where I was and how far God has brought me by the power of the Holy Spirit, but also by his people and by recovery groups. Oh my gosh, Alcoholics Anonymous has been just absolutely instrumental and really the unsung hero. And for those of us in the Christian community, I know some people, you know, AA gets a bad rap, which kind of blows my mind. And AA is so amazing. And anyone struggling with addiction, I think, should go to an AA meeting. Whether you're struggling, maybe there's not a your type of addiction meeting in your area, go to an AA meeting. There's AA meetings all over the world. They're absolutely incredible. If you're not struggling with alcohol in particular, go to an open AA meeting. Anyone can go and listen and Closed AA meetings are just for those of us that struggle with alcohol in particular. But I'd encourage you, it's incredible. And anyone that says not, I'd love to go to have a conversation. But AA, you know, it was created, gosh, in the 30s by Dr. Bob and Bill. And in the big book, it talks about the 12 steps. And the 12 steps are biblically based. And we can't argue that fact. They are so biblically based in how you walk through the 12 steps. And I honestly think that most Christians would benefit from going through a 12-step recovery program. It's a godsend and phenomenal. But with all that said, 
people walking in the door, we don't necessarily feel that way, right? When I first got to AA, I was pretty judgmental. I didn't think it could help me (laughs) at all. First of all, I didn't think I was an alcoholic, okay? Because I wasn't homeless. I still had my watch. We still had our house. I still had a career and cars and kids and a husband who loved me and, and all that. And for me, the word alcoholism, it really, in my mind, I defined it as somebody who lost everything or was living in the gutter, kind of homeless, that sort of thing. And, and that's just, just just a lie. I mean, the program of AA has lifted the bottom so that we don't have to go there. I mean, alcoholism, like any addiction, is a progressive disease, meaning just because someone isn't actively using their internal world, like that disease is still growing. And so like if someone went goes back, they most likely would have a really bad experience with their addiction because the disease, it progresses, right? And so even though you're not actively using, so that's why it's really dangerous when someone gets sober and then they go back out and use, a lot of the time they overdose because they're used to using a lot in their body is not ready for it. And they, you know, anyways, it's a whole dance. It's crazy. So AA is phenomenal. When I walked in the doors, like I said, I didn't think I was an alcoholic. I only walked in the doors because Jim, my therapist, encouraged me to. And I'll never forget, I was driving down the 101 to Santa Barbara and I had sent him a gnarly email and he just responded, find an AA meeting today. So I did. I was a good little student and found an AA meeting. And I'll tell you what, changed my life. I'll never forget the people that were in that meeting and Just the trajectory that it took my life was incredible. And there's not a more welcoming, safe group of people. Now, I'm not saying everybody's perfect. And let me tell you, it's a room full of addicts. So there's a bunch of issues all throughout. But I know a lot of people don't feel safe talking about their addictions at a church or within the Christian community because there's some judgment and some stigma and all that sort of stuff. But in AA meetings or in recovery meetings, we're all in there for a reason. We're all in there for the same reason. So there's a lot less judgment, right? <laughs> and any judgment you feel, it's probably coming from yourself because we judge ourselves the most harshly, to be totally honest. One of the quotes that has stuck with me for a long time was by Dr. Bob, one of AA's co-founders, and he suggests that any newcomer drops to their knees and says out loud, God, I need your help. I can't handle this by myself. That's where I got when I was a train wreck medicating with alcohol. And it's interesting. Like I said, I didn't know I was an alcoholic. I definitely know I used alcohol as a medicator and to bring me peace or to quiet my thoughts or to even bring me some joy. Even talking about it right now, I can tell you my body kind of, I still can get that feeling of the little buzz just talking about it. That's how important it was and how ingrained in me it was to feel better about myself or feel better within myself or to quiet my mind. There's a song by Dax. I'll put it in the show notes. It's a rap about, it says, Dear Alcohol. Man, it's a powerful song. If you struggle with alcoholism, it's a powerful song. And it's so true. And so I'll put that in the show notes. But that was a little caveat. I don't know Dax, but his song is pretty profound. And I don't usually like rap, but it spoke to my heart. So I was walking through some inner healing stuff. Gary and I, we had just moved from the Bay Area. And this is a whole other story, but we had lost a huge, (laughs) a huge nest egg. It was in 08, which I know a lot of people did, right? But it really affected us because it kind of changed the trajectory of our life. And we had sold, you know, anyways, we had done pretty well for ourselves and we had a nice little nest egg. And to be totally honest with you, and I've dealt with this a lot, but my alcoholism kind of squandered it and kind of gambled it away. And Gary's dealt with his stuff too, with his codependency, (laughs) which is something I'm going to have Gary on the podcast at some point. But 
every alcoholic's got a good codependent right there with them. So it's just, it's the dance that we do. And I'll tell you what, I was journaling this morning too. I want to say there's no shame and there's no condemnation if you're like, man, I'm so dysfunctional. There's so much dysfunctional I'm enabling or there's so much dysfunction I'm walking through. Man, I'll tell you, dysfunction serves its purpose for a season, okay? But once we become aware of that dysfunction, I feel like then we start to unravel it and unpack it to be able to deal with that dysfunction. But do not shame yourself or beat yourself up if you're like, I've got so much dysfunction and I've enabled this guy to be an alcoholic or I've enabled my kid and, you know, all of that sort of stuff. Or you're just feeling like you have so much dysfunction, you could never not drink or never not use or never not smoke marijuana or never not be obsessively busy. Because I'll tell you what, busyness is just as addictive as any substance. Okay, and they say workaholism is more detrimental to a family unit than actual substance abuse. So an absent father because of work is super detrimental. And, you know, just to also, I'm just going to throw one more stat out there that just came to my head. But if you come from a family lineage of any addicts or alcoholism or anything like that, you're 400% more likely to have an addiction, right? So there's this generational stuff that we pass on unconsciously to our children, right? And it's in our DNA. It's, it's all of that. And so, I mean, I'll tell you what, we're super open with our kids about the target on their back with alcoholism and with addiction in particular. And they're really aware. And I hope to God I've scared them (laughs) away from it. Right. But that's not to say they won't have other issues and and that sort of thing. I mean, let's just face it. I'm their mom. So they're going to have a few issues. (laughs) Gary and I joke that we as parents, our job is to minimize the amount of therapy they're going to need as adults. (laughs) And we actually have a therapy fund, but That's a whole other side note. But anyways, I'm all about uh, dealing with our stuff and with, you know, finding super helpful people to help us walk as whole and as healed as we can possibly be, because I am convinced we do not need to live under the cloud of misery or destruction. I just I know it. I know it because I know it and because I'm living it. And I'm so, so grateful. You know, one of the promises so that the program of Alcoholics Anonymous has the 12 steps and then they have the 12 promises and the 12 promises are sometimes overlooked. But I'll tell you what, I memorize these bad boys like week two in the program because I'm like, okay, this is what I'm shooting for. And this is what the program promises. And so I'm shooting for these things. So promise number two says we will not regret the past nor wish to shut the door on it. And so much of an addict's issue has to do with their past, whether it be their childhood and choices that were thrust upon them or adolescence or young adulthood and choices they had made or even choices they'd made in adulthood. doesn't matter. You know, when someone gets sober, they've got to actually face all these choices that they've walked through in their life, right? And to be able to deal with them and put them to bed, so to speak, and not just bury them under the rug and trip over them and break your nose, but to actually like find peace with them and release them and surrender and forgive. And it's beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful when someone walks through it. It's absolutely painful. They say, get sober, get miserable. I mean, because people wouldn't use substances if it didn't work. Like, I'll be honest with you. It did work for a long time. It worked for me and then it didn't. And then it would work and then it wouldn't work. And then it would work and it would work and then it wouldn't work. Right. It's like, that's the dance and that's the misery for most addicts is I'm telling you, the substances do not work every time. Early on they will, but then it wears off. There's nothing that can fill those holes within us and simplifying it and saying, oh, we'll just surrender and Jesus will fill those holes. That's great. It's true. But oh my gosh, no one wants to hear that because 
how do you get there? How do you do it? And so that was my wrestle. And back to my journey, I was walking through some inner healing stuff and I was walking through in particular some sexual abuse stuff that some memories that had come up from my early childhood. And Jim said, hey, for this season, don't drink because you've got to deal with this stuff with a sober heart, sober mind so that you can actually put it to rest. Because if you're medicating, you're going to have to walk through it again. And it was so hard. I mean, it was honest to God, it was hard as hell to walk through this stuff and to kind of remember and face it and all of that. And I probably would not have dug it up. It just happened to something triggered me. And I was like, oh my gosh, like it, it came flashing back like a PTSD flashback. And so I was like, okay, I get that. I'll totally do that. So I won't drink for 30 days. And I'll never forget the email I sent him that he triggered then said, go to AA today was I sent this blistering like, Jim, this is when I need to drink. What are you talking about kind of thing? And, you know, when we're going through hard times or when we're triggered or, or whatever, that's when we reach out and we need these medicators. But you know, honestly, the sooner that we deal with this stuff and we face the pain, you know, you got to feel it to heal it. That's a recovery term, which I hated, but you really got to feel this stuff to get through it. And it's hard though for any addict to admit. And I don't want you to use this episode as a weapon to any addicts in your life. I'd really encourage you not to. This episode is more just to help you have a deeper understanding for them and empathy for them. And that doesn't mean you need to stay in relationship with them. That doesn't mean you need to continue to enable them if you are enabling them. And I'm not saying you are, but all I'm saying is this is not to use as a weapon when I share my heart about my belief and my experience with addiction. And you guys, a lot, everybody's experience is different. So I'm just saying I'm not an expert, but I am pretty much an expert on my own experience. Okay. But that's the only expert I'm claiming to be is on my own experience. And so if it helps you, it encourages you, then I'm grateful. But I'd encourage you, please don't use what I'm about to say as a weapon to any active addicts in your life, because it could potentially just push them away and push, you know, I don't want to do that. I don't want to cause any conflict, but I'm just sharing this to give you some understanding. So I believe in what the program has taught me and my journey with recovery and walking with others in recovery for the last over a decade is that we medicate these places that are very uncomfortable within us. Okay. And I believe most addicts have had traumatic childhood experiences and that's not to blame our parents. Life happens. And some of the trauma happened on the playground at school and they were really rejected and they didn't know how to process it and they buried it. They didn't deal with it. And then they saw other places in their life of rejection and it just piled on and, and then they began to reject themselves. Like it can be that simple, right? But there are some addicts, the vast majority that had really traumatic childhood events, whether it be somebody died traumatically in their life and they didn't, they weren't able to process it. They didn't know how to process it. And there was no adult who processed that with them. Maybe they had, you know, sexual abuse or physical abuse or even mental and emotional abuse, like that can lead to addiction. There are so many things that trigger it, but I don't know one addict, and I'll be honest with you, that didn't have some, that you can't go back and point to some traumatic childhood event that triggered it, right? And let me tell you this too. I know a lot of people who aren't addicts or active addicts in destructive ways that had traumatic childhood events that happen, and then they didn't get triggered into an active dysfunctional addiction that went on to ruin others' lives or ruin their life. And the only thing that I can say to that is I think that there's a biological component to it. I believe that some of us are born with the physiological and the chemical bent towards addiction. And there's a ton of science on it and all of that. And so 
some of us, our biology is working against us and pushing us towards addiction. Then you couple that with a traumatic event and it's like a cocktail for the perfect storm of addiction and disaster in people's lives, okay? So like I said, if there is addiction in someone's life, in their parents, whether it be their biological parents or their biological grandparents, they are 400% more likely to have an addiction issue themselves, okay? And that's my story. It's in my lineage, right? And honestly, I think it's in most of our lineage. And if you're like, well, Danny, I had a traumatic event and my dad was an alcoholic and I'm not an addict. Well, okay, congratulations. That's amazing. (laughs) You played Russian roulette and the bullet didn't hit your head. That's incredible. And you're blessed, but don't take it for granted and don't start gambling with the fact that you may never know when addiction is going to hit and when you've had one too many to just trigger this cycle into destruction. I mean, that's the reality. And again, this is my experience. This is my experience with people that I have walked with through recovery the last decade and and all of that. So there are amazing people who have written much more articulate ways to describe all of this than myself. But right off the bat, there's a book called In the Realm of Hungry Ghosts by Gabar Mati. He's an MD. It's an amazing book. It really talks about addiction and what triggers it and all of that sort of stuff. It's phenomenal. But there's so many good, there's so much good literature out there about addiction and all of that. And so that was my experience. So that's what triggered my whole journey was that moment in time when Jim said, don't drink. And I couldn't, I couldn't not. And I was struggling and I was miserable. And so I went to AA and I began this journey. And a few short days later, I didn't drink. I kept going to meetings and I met Lori, who is still my mentor. And she was my sponsor at the time. In recovery programs, they encourage you to get a sponsor, somebody that is one day ahead of you, at least. She was about 25 years ahead of me. So she had been sober 25 years at the time. And which is just absolutely incredible. And she's still sober to this day and has an amazing heart and ministry and purpose on this planet. But she walked me through it and we began the 12 steps and kind of dealing with my stuff and teaching me truly about surrender. And but honestly, I've learned so much about surrender and about a spiritual practice through the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. And it's been absolutely phenomenal. And, you know, still to this day, I practice my practices. I I mean, I'm not going to meetings every day. I mean, honestly, I don't go for a month or two to meetings and I don't promote that. I think that addicts need to be in meetings, but it's not forever for everybody, right? But it definitely served my purpose. And when I go back now, I go with a heart of service to be able to give back and to pay homage and as gratitude for my journey. But I'll tell you what, a sober life has been a much more sane life for myself, for my kids, and definitely for my husband. It's been such a gift. And people ask me all the time, like, do you think you were delivered from your obsession of alcohol? And I do. I really do think I was delivered from that obsession of alcohol. However, I'm not stupid enough to go back and try to drink to see if I am or if I can't, because I do know that this disease progresses. And I know I don't want to play that. I don't want to play with it. Alcohol had its control on me for way too many years, and I don't want that. And alcoholism looks different for different people, right? So I was very functional, okay? And that is what is very underrated in America. But there are functional alcoholics all over the place. I mean, I can look at someone and be like, they're an addict or they're an alcoholic, but they're functional. And so they keep going. Just because you're functional doesn't mean it's working for you. Doesn't mean that you're living to your capacity of all the peace and serenity that you could have, right? No addict I know 
or no alcoholic I know or anyone struggling with a real addiction ongoing and is active in their addiction is at peace within themselves. Okay. So that's what we're after as human beings is that peace, that place within us that we feel comfortable in our own skin. And I don't know an active addict in any way, even an eating disorder addict, food addict, there's just that missing component of peace within us. And so, you know, and I have a ton of compassion for anybody who is struggling with a food addiction or a sex addiction. Those, I believe, are the two hardest addictions to deal with and to break and to find serenity and peace within because they're very human drives, right? So we were sexual beings, like that's the reality. We're created to eat food, that's the reality. And so anyone struggling with a fundamental, primal, almost need and desire, and it's linked with addiction is hard. So I have a ton of compassion if you've got a food addiction or a sex addiction, but there is hope. I know people who live really healthy lives, even with the history of sex addiction or food addiction. So there is hope. There's support groups and there's so many amazing people out there that have found their way in real amazing ways to have a good life, even though they've struggled with that, right? So my addiction of with either Vicodin or alcohol, it was pretty obvious. You shouldn't need Vicodin in a bottle of wine to function, right? But anytime I was in a social setting, I need some substance, right? And that's not always, like I have friends who have to take Xanax before they do certain things in public. And there's a real thing about social anxiety. So I'm not picking on anybody who's got social anxiety, but that was just a medicator for me. And Honestly, the substance helped me kind of be who I wanted to be for a minute and I could breathe and I could have peace and I could feel okay in my own skin, but then I couldn't hold it for very long. It was always fleeting, but I always, I was going for that peace. Then it would be gone quicker than it came and then I'd be going after it again and then it would, had ruin it. I'd be too far gone or that sort of thing. And so I am so grateful for the people that walked with me through that season and you know, I didn't feel judged. My circle became very small in that moment because I couldn't handle other people's judgment. I was judging the hell out of myself. So I definitely couldn't handle other people's judgment when I got sober. But I'm so grateful for my foundation and those people that walked with me through those moments as I cleaned house. And it took a bit. I mean, honestly, I don't think I was actually happy for five, six, seven years of sobriety to actually find joy. And I don't want to scare anybody who's like, well, to hell with it. I'm not going to get sober. And then no, no, that's not what I'm saying. I took the long road. Okay. Even though I was sober, I still wasn't surrendering certain places or spaces within my heart. And I wasn't believing the grace and the love of God, you know, was for me and acceptance and, and all of that. And once I began to work through all that stuff, and once I began to work through self-forgiveness and relinquishment, holy moly, of joy and peace and serenity like I'd never knew existed ushered into my heart. Do I still struggle? Yeah, heck yeah. Do I still struggle with depression or grief or anxiety? Yeah, at times for sure, but it's not all consuming anymore. You guys, I was consumed with it for years and that is the beauty of recovery, of actually knowing. Like I guarantee you, if you're struggling with an addiction and you do your work and you allow the people in your life that God brings into your life, to help you, to usher you through that season, you actually deal with your stuff, you will have more peace, serenity, and joy. I promise you. I just know it. I know it because I know it, because I've seen it done in so many people's lives. I'm living proof of it. I never thought I'd have peace or joy or definitely not purpose on this planet. Like I thought I was here to come steal and destroy the planet, right? <laughs> like we just, as addicts, we just hate ourselves so much. And that's just part of the lie. That's part of the obsession 
to hate ourselves or the obsession to beat ourselves up or guilt or remorse or disgust, all of that stuff. Right. And it comes out on others. And I'm, you know, if you've been hurt by an addict, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry that you've been within striking distance, right? It's really not about you. It's about them. But don't tell an addict that because they will lash out probably even more. This is all just information for you. But if you are struggling with addiction, I just, I want to give you hope. You don't have to live in that misery. I don't care what the hell you've done in your life or what has been done to you. You do not need to live under that misery. And, you know, guys, when I got sober, I made a deal with God. Literally, I was like, okay, I'm going to go for it. I'm going to try it. But if it doesn't work, I'm out. Deuces, literally. And that was a big thing that was my fallback was just ended my life. And that was a big decision not to each time because, you know, I had two little kids at the time. I had an amazing husband that I didn't want to hurt. And I had, you know, family I didn't want to hurt, friends I didn't want to hurt. But I felt like my existence hurted them, was hurting them more than actually me just disappearing. But I made this pact with God. And I was like, if this doesn't work, I'll give it some time. But if it doesn't work, I'm out literally. And God's okay with those packs, right? Because he is going to show up. And I believe the program of Alcoholics Anonymous is God-derived and God-given. And any program that helps people in recovery, I believe, is just a godsend. I believe it's amazing. And by the grace of God, one day at a time, I found my way. I absolutely found my way. And little by little, I worked through my stuff and I found peace and I found joy and I found acceptance and I found purpose. And you guys, I can tell you, I don't regret the past, nor do I wish to shut the door on it. I can actually comprehend the word serenity now. That's promise number three. And promise number four is we will know peace. You guys, I know peace. Promise number nine says our whole attitude and outlook upon life will change. It has, and it does, and it is, and I love it. And so, I don't know, I'm just super, super grateful. You know, if you are in the life of an addict and you love an addict, that can be so hard. And so I just want to have a ton of compassion and empathy for you. And I just want to say that there's literally nothing you can do to fix an addict. It is their choice. They have to want to change. We can do interventions. We can do all of that. But unless they see the light and want to change, it's not going to happen. And, you know, it's not an assault on how much they don't love you. It's not an assault on how much you have hurt them. It's not an assault on anything. You're not good enough for them to want to be sober. It's not about you. I'm telling you that right now. If you love an addict, whether it be your kid, your spouse, your parent, your friend, it's not about you. It is not about you. And the sooner that you can embrace that and go through your own recovery journey, and let me tell you, you need your own little recovery journey. Because if you've ever loved an addict, there's some backlash and just stuff that you got to deal with to find peace and serenity and forgiveness and forgive yourself. Like, oh, I should have seen this coming. And I can't tell you how many addict spouses I deal with and I try to encourage and it's the guilt and the remorse like they should have known better that they deal with is just overwhelming. But I know because I know because I know it's not on you. It's on them and find a good support system. I mean, there's programs like Al-Anon and CODA and all these Al-Anon teen. If it's your parent and you're a teenager, there's great recovery. If you have a kid and your spouse is an addict, get your kid an Al-Anon teen Alateen or whatever. They're phenomenal. They just help people with codependency. So we're not dependent upon these addicts and these interpersonal relationships. You guys are so much. There's just so much. Anyways, you can see there's just so much more I could talk about and we will, but I just wanted to share my heart and just share my thoughts a little bit on addiction. I could literally talk for hours and hours about it, but this whole podcast is not strictly about addiction or recovery, but it's a component that has driven 
the peace and the joy and the serenity in my life. And I believe we are all on the road to recovery. And so we're recovering. We're recovering from the trauma and the drama of life that whether someone else has caused in our life or we've caused or the church has caused or other people, whatever, who knows? But I just want you to know you're not alone and that there's nothing to be ashamed of. There's nothing to hide. Find one or two, three good people in your life that you can share this stuff with. And I'm telling you, you won the lottery. If you can process your stuff with one, two, or three people, you are better off than 95% of this planet because so many people feel alone. And I would bet that those numbers are just as accurate within the church as out of the church. And the reality is sometimes oversimplifying God's love and his grace and his purpose and his healing it tends to shame those of us who struggle. And so you won't get any of that oversimplifying here on the podcast because I like, I hate shame and I never want to shame anybody. So I pray to God that nothing I said put any shame upon you. That is not at all what I am saying. What I'm saying is that there is hope and there is peace and there is purpose for your life. And there's nothing to be ashamed of if you have an addiction, get some help. There's nothing to be ashamed of if you love an addict, get some help. Okay. I love you guys. You're not alone. Thanks for listening to my story. We'll talk more and we'll probably have some addiction experts on with who knows. I don't even know. Whatever. We're our own expert when it comes to addiction, but there's some people that have been are much more well-versed and been around the block a little bit more than me that can help those of us either loving an addict or who are an addict. So... Okay, you guys, I'm so excited. It's finally here. I've been working on a course called the Spiritual Intentions Framework. It's 12 foundational principles to spiritual growth when all else fails. The Spiritual Intention Framework, you guys, it's here to help us create these foundational practices that we need, no matter where we are in our life, no matter what disappointment, what tragedy, what grief, what loss, it's growing with God. It's hearing from God and growing closer to Him through these simple practices. You guys, if you're feeling stuck or frustrated, uninspired, lonely, or even far from God, maybe you're struggling with your confidence in prayer. You don't even know what to pray or when to pray. Maybe you just want someone to walk you through these spiritual growth practices. You guys, that's why I created this course. I've been doing them for years. These 12 foundational principles have literally been the foundation for my growth with the Lord. Okay, so what's inside the course? There's 12 audio sessions. It's completely audio. You can do it on the run. You can do it in your car. You can do it while doing laundry. But one of my favorite sessions is do the next right thing. Do the next right thing is a recovery term that people have used for years and years, but it's just helping us when we're in those moments of distress, when we're like swallowed up by grief. What's the next thing that we're going to do to help us get out of that moment? What's the next thing we're going to do to hear from God? You guys, there's downloadable worksheets for these sessions. And with Do the Next Right Thing, we're going to walk through what those things are. We're going to talk about prayer and scriptures, meditation, spoiler, meditation's biblical. We're going to talk about biblical meditation, how to do it, when to do it, why to do it. We're going to talk about community, the importance of community. And I just want to pause. I want to say, if you have community wounds, you guys, we dive into that. We dive into the hard stuff and we help figure out how to still build community even when there's hard things that have happened within community, because I believe you can only heal community wounds in community. You guys, there's so much more. We're gonna talk about radical acceptance. What does that mean? Surrender. We're gonna learn about all these big theological things, but in very simple, amazing, fun ways. We're gonna talk about scriptures and prayer, physical well-being. Physical well-being doesn't mean just exercise. We're gonna talk about our holistic being, our whole body, minds, hearts, spirits, all of that, guys. We're gonna talk about journaling 
purpose and meaning, what's your calling on this planet? We're going to talk about worship music, Sabbath, rest, self-care, all of that, and so much more. You guys, I'm so jazzed. This is fun. You guys, it doesn't need to be dry and boring. Some of them are spiritual disciplines that are ancient practices. They've been around literally thousands of years. You guys, we can encounter God's goodness and His grace no matter what you're walking through. Jesus wants to encounter you. He wants to draw close to you. And so these practices will help you find a rhythm. We'll walk through a morning routine. And if morning's not your jam, it's okay. We'll find ways for you to build it into your busy life, to your overwhelmed life. It's okay. Even five minutes a day can be a game changer with these things. So what do you do if you want to sign up? You go to dannysumner.com forward slash spiritual intentions framework. The link will be in the show notes. You guys, I'm so jazzed. I can't wait to walk through this with you. All right, let me say a prayer. Lord, first and foremost, I thank you that your promises are true. God, I thank you, Lord, for my recovery. I thank you for being over 100,000 hours sober. And God, I, I don't take that lightly, and I know it has nothing to do with me other than me showing up and surrendering and allowing you to do your work. So God, I thank you for what you're doing. I thank you that you gave us a blueprint actually of how to break free and that no, not one of us is too far gone. So Lord, I pray for my friend that is feeling too far gone or hopeless. God, I just pray that you would speak life. God, I pray that they would be encouraged, that they would know they are not forgotten. They are not too far gone. Lord, would you encourage them? Would you put people in their lives, God, to carry them and to help them that they can be honest with? Lord, I thank you for the gift of honesty in that it's so releasing. Lord, I thank you for what you're doing among us and in our midst. Please continue to, and bless my friend, Lord, for the friends that are struggling with addicts in their life. They just don't know what to do with. They want to wring their hands. They want to wring their necks, but they don't want to walk away either because they feel so obligated. And some of us even feel like it's our responsibility. I mean, all of these things, Lord, I pray that you'd help them discern by the power of your spirit wisdom and what is codependency and what is true relationship and and unpacking that. And I thank you. There's no shame wherever we are, God, that you are with us and that you're doing it. And you don't reveal truth to us to harm us, God, but to heal us. And so you are with us. So bless my friends. Thank you for this space and this place, God. We love you, God. In Jesus name. Amen. God bless you guys. You're not alone. If you need prayer, email us hello at dannysumner.com. Whether you're an addict, you love an addict, or you just need prayer, email me. I promise to pray for you. Hello, H-E-L-L-O at dannysumner.com, D-A-N-I-S-U-M-N-E-R.com. It'll be in the show notes and I'll talk soon. God bless. Thanks for listening. Hello, my friend. If this episode blessed you, made you laugh, or triggered you, hey, that's growth. Please do me a favor and share this with a friend. And if you feel led, please leave a written review for the show. That really helps us out. Don't forget you are in good company if you're feeling more broken than you'd like to admit. And you are more loved than you can ever imagine. Have a great week. See you next time.